0: and fulfillment let's get started with soul talk
1: welcome back everyone it's cute here welcome back to another a super special episode of the soul talk podcast uh, each episode i say it's super special today is definitely uh on that level i'm really excited to introduce an amazing uh, individual who uh i've read his book and heard so much about amazing things from some dear friends of mine We've been raving about him, and I thought I have to have him on the podcast. He's a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, researcher, prolific author, prolific global educator. I mean, I looked at this man's schedule. I mean, he's all over the map, all over the world, teaching and transforming lives in in the corporate fields, financial empowerment strategies, self-development programs, relationship solutions, social transformational programs. I mean, the man is legendary, and I think... Uh, We're gonna have an amazing episode on Soul Talk today. He's the author of the Breakthrough Experience, a revolutionary new approach to personal transformation. Welcome to the conversation, the one and only Dr. John B. Martini.
2: Welcome, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show.
1: Great to have you on. I've been really excited, and you know, I mean, there might be a a few. I've so many questions to ask you, uh, uh, John, but there's, 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 there's. there's, I always like to just kind of begin to set a bit of a context, especially there might be a few folks that may not know your background. I'm sure you've talked about it a lot, but you know, I mean, I read that you, you studied something like, I thought I read a lot of books, but you studied something like 30,000 books across different fields. I mean, this is insane. And so I'm curious, you know, now you teach and train around the world. And as I said, I saw your schedule, you're constantly on the road. Um, how did this path begin of, of, of teaching and transforming lives and helping people uh, to, to facilitate breakthroughs in their lives? How, how did, that, did that start? Were you always kind of a spiritual kid? Were your parents spiritual? How did that happen? Was there a special moment
3: where you woke up, so to speak? You had a breakthrough? Well, when I was a young boy, I had... Was born with my arm and leg turned in, and I had speech problems and had to go to speech
2: pathologist and had to wear braces. And so I had a desire to want to get out of those and be free. So I think I, the idea of traveling and being on the go is probably affected by that. When I got into first grade, my teacher called my parents to the school. And said that, I'm afraid your son is never going to read. He's never going to be writing. He's not going to be able to speak. He's not going to be able to go very far or do anything in life. And I, I, um, I had learning problems, without a doubt. I mean, I was okay in sports, but not in, in uh, academics. So I left school at age 13. And 14, I, I uh, was living on the street. And uh, at 14, I then hitchhiked out to California from Texas. At 15, I ended up hitchhiking uh, up and down the coast. And then eventually I, I panhandled enough money to fly to Hawaii to go surfing. And I took up uh, surfing as my career. And I rode big waves. And I, I moved to the North Shore. And I lived under the Kamehameha Highway Bridge at sunset. And then I lived at Iekai oh, Beach wow. Park under, under a, a bench. And then I moved to the bathrooms. And then I moved to an abandoned car. And then eventually abandoned um little building. And a tent, eventually. I social climbed, I guess you could call it. And then uh, I had uh, nearly died one time when I was 17. I got really close to dying and um, because of strychnine and cyanide poisoning from some things that I had consumed without realizing it. Mm. And then I had um, this amazing experience. I, after being unconscious for three and a half days, a lady found me and took me to a little health food store. And leaving that health food store, I saw a little flyer on the door. And something intuitively said, I need to go to this class, this yoga class. And so one night, I attended this yoga class with this one man named Paul Bragg, who spoke for one hour, that without a doubt, spoke to me and made me believe that maybe I could overcome my learning problems and I could learn how to read and be intelligent someday. I never thought I was going to be intelligent. So I thought, you know, if I could, I could do sports, but I couldn't read. I didn't really read until I was 18. And so my, uh, after meeting this gentleman, I got so inspired that I had a desire to want to overcome my learning problems and learn how to be a teacher. And I had a dream to travel the world and to teach. And so 46-plus years ago, that happened. And I've been working on that project ever since. And today, I basically full-time travel around the world teaching. And I, I uh, never gave up on the dream. You know, if a person stays with something long enough, they get it. And so I just never gave up on the dream to learn how to read, learn how to write, learn how to speak properly, learn how to, you know, be intelligent. And then I, once I learned I could read, I, I didn't stop. I just went insane on reading. So I, I just, you know, I read sometimes, you know, I was buying 50 books a week on average and I was just devouring books, you know, all the time. And I'd sometimes read 18 books in a day. And I just got oh, wait, 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 wait. Eight, eighteen books a day. How, how do you? Yep. Even, how do you even do that? Yeah. Well, I I got pretty wow. fast after all. I, I kept asking what worked and what didn't work, and I I just started reading, and I still read, but not as much as I did because I'm speaking so much now. But I um the, the things that I love is researching, writing, traveling, and teaching. That's the thing I do. I I do it you know 365 days a year. I'm traveling full time. I live on a ship when I'm not traveling, and that's traveling. Wow! So I, I am full-time dedicated to researching, writing, traveling, teaching, and sharing the research findings with people and help people live extraordinary lives. And, and that's I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing with my life. So that's what I do. So from your research and from your own
1: experience, you went from not being able to, to read, not being educated. You had this breakthrough and you you facilitate breakthrough weekends, breakthrough experiences. I'm curious what you found uh, stops people from breaking through. Like, are there any key things that actually block people from having a breakthrough? And And what are the things that are necessary or what are the shifts someone has to make that are necessary for them to have a breakthrough
2: in any area? Well, every human being lives... By a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important to least important in their life. This hierarchy of values or set of values dictates how they perceive the world, decide to act in the world, and it basically determines their destiny. So whatever is highest on your value is where you're going to excel. You're spontaneously inspired from within to go and do it. But whatever's low on your value, you need motivation to get you to do it. Then motivation is a symptom, never a solution for maximizing human potential. I'm not a motivational speaker. And so what happens is people compare themselves to other people and they sometimes are subordinate to others and minimize themselves to other people that they think have something they don't. They then inject the values of others into their life, try to live in other people's values, which is futile, and get away from the clarity of what's important to them and their highest value is their mission. So what happens is they cloud themselves from their own mission and lose their inspiration And as Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. You're not here to fit in and subordinate. You're here to stand out and stand on the shoulders of giants. So when people basically compare themselves to others instead of comparing their daily actions to their own dreams, they falter on the potential that they have innately within. And they hold themselves back from greatness. And the comfort zones that emerge when they're trying to live in other people's values hinder their maximum potential, which is a congruency with what they value most. So I have on my website a value determination process that I developed to help people determine what's really important to them. Because mm-hmm. so if you ask somebody what's really important to them, they'll tell you usually a bunch of bullshit. They'll tell you, you know, stuff that they think it is, what they wish it would be instead of actually what their life demonstrates. But your life demonstrates mm-hmm. your values. And I'm interested in knowing what, knowing what your values are really revealing and then structuring your life around that and orchestrating your life and mm-hmm. If you don't fill your day with high-priority actions that inspire you, it fills up with low-priority distractions that don't. And if you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, your day fills up with challenges that don't. So you're not here to compare yourself to others. You're here to not put people on pedestals or pits, but put them in your heart, have equity of mind and equanimity, and basically focus on what's truly meaningful and stick to priority in life. If you stick to priority, you grow your self-worth. And if you go away from highest priority, you lower your self-worth. So this is what people do is they compare themselves to others and they're too humble to admit what they see in others inside themselves. And then they play small by comparison to people they exaggerate instead of honor who they are. Because whatever you see in others, you have, but you're too humble to admit it.
3: Got it. Um, And as you've journeyed,
1: you know, and as you've seen people make shifts, as you've made shifts, you said you're pretty much on the road 365, researching this is what your life is dedicated to. Um, I guess what do, you, what, what do you feel the purpose or what have you found the purpose of life, is? not even how does someone find their life purpose, that's like a, a second question but what's the point of all of this you know, what's the point of this? Well why do, you, why do we incarnate, why are we
2: born what's the purpose of this life, just a small question John well Albert Camus asked that question what is the meaning of life, what's the purpose of life And he basically concluded that it's what meaning we give it. It's the individual values that each of us holds and how we filter our reality. I mean, everybody's got a different set of priorities. Some people are dedicated to raising beautiful children and being mothers or fathers. Some people are dedicated to social causes and being political leaders. Some are dedicated to spiritual causes and doing yoga and meditation. Some people are dedicated to business and running great businesses. And some are into finance. And some are into, you know, Intellectual pursuits. So there's no right or wrong value system on the planet. And anybody that's tried to make a moral system has found it to be faltered. There's no universally ascended morality that's on the planet. But people like to believe there is so they can justify their actions. But universally, there, there's a spectrum of values, and everybody's needed. Nobody's more or less valuable than anybody else, ultimately. And so what you do is you find out what you really value, and you structure your life according to it. And that's what gives you the most meaning and purpose in life. Your purpose is the most efficient and effective pathway to fulfill the greatest amount of voids in life with the greatest amount of value. And when you feel like you're doing something that's extremely powerful and meaningful and inspiring to you that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do, that makes a contribution to other people. So you can earn an income, so you can delegate lower party things. You master your life. And you're basically getting on with mastering your life and in the sense you're you're not having Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, and thank God it's Fridays. You're basically doing something you love every day and getting pay, handsomely paid to do it and making your life something inspiring and exemplifying what's possible.
1: You're talking about finding your values. I've heard you say that a few times. Finding your values, structuring your life in accordance with those values. Now, maybe someone listening in is gone, okay, but well, John, i got it. Find my values. <laughs> Where do I start? How do I find my values? Because as you said, you know, sometimes what
2: we think is our values, not really our values. And so most people, most people, most people lie to themselves about what they value. So I, I created a value determination process. That's on drdmartini.com. It's free. People go on there. It won't cost them anything. It just takes a few minutes of their time. But what it is, is 13 questions that are Mm -hmm. objectively answered based on what you actually demonstrate in life. Because I'm not interested in what you say, I'm interested in what your life demonstrates. That's what matters. So I look at how you fill your space. Because when something's really valuable, you keep it around you. When it's not, you discard it. I look at how you spend your time. You find time, make time, and spend time on things that are really really valuable to you and you run out of time for things that aren't. I look at how you, what energizes you. When you're doing something that's high in your values, your energy goes up. When you're not, it goes down. I look at how you spend your money. Uh, you make money, you spend money, and find money, and, and, and get money for whatever is truly valuable to you, and you run out of money for things and not. Then I look at exactly where you're most organized and ordered, and I look at where you're most disciplined and reliable and focused. And I look at where you what you think about, visualize, and internally dialogue with yourself about how you want your life that shows evidence coming true. It has to have evidence of coming true, not fantasies. Then I look at what is it you converse with other people about most and want to talk about most frequently. Then I look at what inspires you and what's common to the people who inspire you. Then I look at what the three most consistent goals that you've been working on that are coming true because you don't give up on them. And the last one is what do you love studying about, reading about, learning about, listening to about? And if you look at those answers and get 39 answers, three answers per value determinant, and you go in there and look at which one showed up most frequent, second frequent, second most frequent, etc., it'll give you a very, very great indication of what you value most. And you don't want to write down what you wish it would be or hope it would be or what you fantasize it being or what it used to be. You have to write down what is objectively in your life now. And you may have to sit with somebody else who knows you enough to not let you lie. And what you do is you fill fill that out. And that gives you a really good indication of what you're really committed to. Then you can structure your life around what's priority.
3: Got
1: it. That's pretty clear. But I, I am curious, and maybe you could help clarify this, uh, for me and those listening in you know what if someone and this is just a clarification question what if someone you look at someone's life and you know may, maybe their vet and i don't want to put a judgment on it but maybe their values seem a little bit more or what they spend time around seems a little bit more superficial just based on you know environment conditioning uh they, they say, okay, my, my life is focused around money, around cards, around fame, around uh, Hollywood stuff, you know? And, and and so that's where they're spending their time around. That's what they're spending a lot of their time, their focus, their energy. But is it possible that they're still not, obviously maybe they're still not fulfilled in, in, in that way?
2: And so I'm curious, well,
3: even though they're first spending of all, time
2: there... Is- there's no right values, so that's the first thing that people okay. have to realize. There's no right values yeah. across the world. Every value system that you can imagine is there. You got wow. people that are complete spectrum across the world. You know, there's people out there. Mm. I'm sure that Bill Gates' mother probably thought he was addicted to video games when he was young. But then when he became mm. a billionaire, with him, she probably thought, well, maybe that was not so bad after all. <laughs> so I think sometimes we think that it doesn't match our values, and so we judge them. But that's that's mm. not what it's about. It's not about us being right and them being wrong or them being superficial because it doesn't match what we think is meaningful. It's about honoring mm. what their values are and caring enough to communicate in those values. Now when you're selling, you have to care enough about a person to find out what they value most and talk in terms of those values, and then they'll buy. Mm. If you want any idea across to somebody, it's the same way. So it's not about judging their values. There's nothing wrong with anybody's values. There's they're, 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 some people are dedicated to to cars. I mean, I have a friend that's got mm. cars, and he loves cars. And he does business, mm. and he's very wealthy, and he's got lots of cars, and so what? What's, what's, what's wrong with that? Mm. Now, what's happening is he gets older, he gradually finds that that's not as crucial, and then something else becomes mm. more important, maybe more meaningful. As we go through life, mm. you know, when you're zero to 10, we probably want to play. When you're 10 to 20, you probably want to socialize. Uh-huh. When you're 30, you probably want to find a, a relationship and a, and a career. When you're 30 or 40, you probably want to have a family and your own business. So every year and every decade, it's evolving, but there's no right and wrong value. This is the big illusion people get caught in. And once we, once we understand that, we can then appreciate them for what they're dedicated to because somebody has to be dedicated to watching TV or otherwise there's no ratings. Somebody has to be dedicated ah. to getting, you know, cars because that way they have designs. And so I, I don't, uh, I don't drive. I haven't driven a car personally in 29 and a half years, but so that's twenty nine years. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I, last time I drove a car was 29 and a half years ago. So I'm not, in. that (laughs) That doesn't mean that somebody has cars on their values. There's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. I'd rather delegate Mm -hmm. that to somebody else and let somebody else drive and let me go in the back and read and write. But Mm. so that's not, I'm not right for my values or they're not wrong. Well, they're not right and I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. They're just different values.
1: Yeah. I love the sense of non-judgmentalness that you're kind of bringing forth. Well,
2: because would you agree when you find a mate, they don't have exact same values as you. You, you, mm-hmm. you find a mate, you find somebody you can delegate low-priority stuff to. <laughs> they're going to do the stuff that you're mm-hmm. not interested in. You're going to do the stuff they're not interested in. That's what a relationship's mm-hmm. about sometimes. So you're not going to have mm-hmm. the same values. If any two people exactly the same, one's not necessary. So mm-hmm. that's part of life. And, so the question is, is what are those values and what are they dedicated to and not judge them but find out how they are and then articulate what you want in terms of those values. And if you can communicate and help them get what they want, you'll get what you want. That's basically the basic mm-hmm. principle of life. Help enough other people get what they want to get in life by helping them fulfill their values and you'll help you fulfill yours. Elon Musk was saying that just about two hours ago. He was just describing that he was talking about highest values. He said that when people find their highest values, they find their calling. They find their real mission. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're committed to. That's what their ontology and their identity revolves around. So if you're a high value on children, you'll say you're a mother. And if your high value is on business, you'll say you're an entrepreneur. If your high value is on spirituality, you may say you're a monk. So whatever is mm-hmm. the highest on your value, you'll identify yourself by. And none of them are right or wrong. They're just different. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely nobody's putting that. on pedestals yeah. or pits. Nobody's worth putting on pedestals or bits, but everybody's worth putting in hearts.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it opens up with just a real sense of acceptance and compassion. And, you know, I'm curious now that you're saying that because I think that's a myth that, that that you're really demystifying in terms of, you know, the value system, one value system's right, one value system's wrong, one's better, one's more spiritual. It's just, it is what it is. Um, then we can just relate with people where they're at. Are, are there any, but in your studies, Uh, Are there any other, um, I don't know how to call them, uh, John, ideas or value systems or concepts that we typically might think are spiritual or better that... perhaps you can help us demystify all that you found to be limiting. Like, okay, one value system is better than another. Boom. Well, not, none right or wrong. It is what it is. No, no, no.
2: Kind of, kind no. of freeing. If, you know, that's kind of freeing. Everybody, look, if you're Donald Trump, you may have a desire mm-hmm. to put, build buildings and put your name on it. If you're Mother Teresa, you may want to serve the needy. If you're Elon mm-hmm. Musk, you may want to build ways to go to Mars or something. If you're me, you mm-hmm. may want to teach. You know, everybody's got a different set of values, and whatever that is, it's not wrong or right. It's just what makes them unique. And you can't say that those are better or worse. The whole idea of better and worse, right and wrong, and improved and disimproved, to me, are are fallacies. Teaching a program in France one time, and uh, there was a guy that was attending it. And it was on how to be more effective and efficient at work to produce more. And he went home, or back to his office, and um, started producing more. He started being prioritized. He started getting more business. He started making more income. And his boss thought, wow, ever since you went to that seminar, you've really improved. But then his mm-hmm. wife, who thought her highest value was kids. And since he went to the seminar, he's been spending more time at work because he's getting more rewards there. And so now she, he's saying, well, ever since you went to that seminar, she says, you disprove because you are not mm-hmm. matched by values. So that's why that is mm-hmm. fallacy, this whole idea of, you know, I'm better, I'm worse, I'm good and bad, these are all fallacies they are narrowed minded instead of actually thinking on a broader scale and realizing that you're neither good or bad, you're just a human being. See, if I went up to you and I said to you, you're always fine, you're never cruel, you're always nice, you're never mean, you're always positive, never negative, always peaceful, never wrathful, always giving, never taking, always generous, never stingy, always considerate, never inconsiderate. If I said that to you, your bullshit meter would go off and you go, uh, not exactly. And if I said to you, you're always mean, you're never nice, you're always cruel, you're never kind, you're always taking, you're never giving, you're always stingy, you're never generous, you're always wrathful, never peaceful, always negative, never positive, you're always inconsiderate, never considerate. Again, your bullshit meter would go off, and you go, no, that's not it either. But if I said to you, sometimes you're nice, sometimes you're mean, sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're cruel, sometimes you're positive, sometimes you're negative, sometimes you're generous, sometimes you're stingy, you'd immediately go, yep, that's true. So the truth is that you're a hero and a villain, you're a saint and a sinner. Virtue and a vice. And to try to get rid of half of yourself, to try to love yourself is futile. And try to get other, rid of half of other people is futile. That's why narrow minded moralities like that are, are futile. Mm. So I don't find them productive. I, I find, how does this, if I ask the question when somebody does something that challenges me, if I ask, okay, so where and when do I display and demonstrate this trait and find out where it's in me? And I discover yeah. that I was too proud to admit it, but I have it. And then I go, and how does it serve me? Once I find the benefit of it, I realize that it's not a bad thing. It also served me. But I chose not to see it. I was narrow-minded. But once I see both sides of it, it doesn't affect me. And I'm not run by the outer world. I'm run by the inner world. And the inner world is the heart of love. And the outer world is the judgment of emotions seek and avoid. And anything you infatuate with or resent occupies space and time in your mind and runs you. And it basically occupies your existence. And you basically run from the outer world instead of run from within. That's why I said in The Secret many years ago, when the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all opinions on the outside, you begin to master your life. So the the key is to transcend that and not get caught in the the delusions of a narrow mind. The broadest mind is one that's universal. And the narrowest mind is one that's in the terrestrial sphere, the world of trial.
3: Yeah. So at this stage of your life, what what is success to you?
1: How would you define Um, success? I don't
2: define success. I, I find that's ah, a left brain um, terminology. Keo from Coca-Cola company warned against the term. I'm a man on a mission. I don't consider myself successful or failure. I find that the second you think you're successful, you depurpose and do low party things. And the second you think you're a failure, you repurpose and do high priority things. And the second you're in the center and you don't consider yourself a success or failure, you just are centered and you're grateful and you feel love for what you do. And so I don't like to label something I'm a success. People always say, well, you're a successful person. i said, if you want to call that, I don't like to use that term because I think that's succession. That's a left-brain terminology of succession instead of a holistic aspect of the right brain. I'd rather think of myself as both success and failure and both. I refine myself every day. There's things I set out to do that I do and things I set out to do that I don't do. And I have both of those feedback systems constantly feedbacking trying to get me in the center to set real goals in real time. The second I think I'm successful and I get proud, I start puffing myself up and set too big a goal in too short a time frame to humble me. And the second I feel failure, I set too small a goal in too short a time. And that humble that eventually gets me in back up again. So they're just feedback systems. So I don't attach to those feedback systems. And I just say I'm a man on a mission and I, I, I'm not attached to success or failure. The more addicted you are to success, the more you're frightened of failure anyway.
3: Mm, got it so do you feel fear John
1: I mean, I'm sure there's moments in your life you must have felt fear and so in those moments in the past when you felt fear how, how did you overcome it and how can those listening
3: in actually there, there's, only, fear there's only
2: two types of fear
1: uh-huh.
2: there's only two types of fear fear is the perception of loss of that which you seek or the perception of gain of that which you try to avoid that's it mm. And it's an assumption that you're about to experience in the future more pain and pleasure, more loss than gain, more negative than positive by some action from with yourself or some other person. And it's an imbalanced perspective. So I don't I don't stop there. I immediately ask, OK, if I'm frightened, I'm assuming there's more negatives than positives. But life doesn't do that. Life never has a negative without a positive. You have events in your life that you think are terrible. And then a day, a week, a month, a year or five years later, you look back and you go, you know what? Thank God that occurred. Then you have events you think are terrific. And then a day, a week, a month, a year, or five years later, you go, oh, I can see the downsides now. So instead of having the wisdom of the ages with the aging process, when not have the wisdom of the ages without it by seeing that it's balanced in advance and keep your mind centered on it and not attached to one side or the other? Because then the second we label something and polarize our perception and subjectively bias our, our reality, we automatically store that in the subconscious mind and it runs us like an animal. But once we balance the mind and see things objectively and have reason and use our intuition to bring the unconscious conscious to see both sides and become fully conscious, we see both sides and we're inspired and we're grateful and we're ready to go. We're not frightened or we're not fantasy. People that set fantasies live with fear. And a fantasy is a one sided outcome. That's why I'm not a positive thinker, because I think what it does, is it sets people up for a fantasy that life's supposed to be one sided. And I always say that you don't have to get rid of any part of yourself to love yourself. You don't have to get rid of your negativity to love yourself. I'm not a positive mm-hmm. person. I have positive moments mm-hmm. and I have negative moments. And I don't, I don't try to get rid of any part of it. I don't try to think one's good and one's bad. I see both of them are necessary in my evolution. That's why I have both. So does everyone else. Mm,
3: got it. So,
2: how, so
1: let's say you have a negative moment, John. You're, 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 you're having a negative emotion moment lots of people get stuck in the negativity they loop in the negativity they wallow in it
2: how can those listening in not get stuck there how can they they stop Do it if they stop in that moment and look at what they're actually perceiving you'll see that they're choosing to see only one side i I tell people all the Mm -hmm. time it's like in the breakthrough experience which i've done 1056 times taught
0: over 30 years
2: and and Mm -hmm. i i tell people in every country around the world that i go to and I said, all right. Let's say you're depressed. I always call depression as a comparison of your current reality to a fantasy you're addicted to. So if you expect somebody to be positive, never negative, and then all of a sudden they have a negative feeling, you're gonna be depressed. You're gonna be angry and aggressive. You're gonna feel. You're gonna blame them and feel betrayed. You're gonna criticism and challenge. You're gonna feel, you know, despaired and depressed. You don't want to exit and escape them. You're futile and frustrated. You want to, you know, have grouchiness and grief, and you want to hate them and hurt them. And that's because you're having a false expectation that people are supposed to live in your values, not their own, or they're supposed to be one-sided and not two-sided. And if you don't have those fantasies and those delusions, you don't live with all those negative experiences. Negativity is not your enemy. Negativity is your friend. It's letting you know that you're addicted to fantasies and you're addicted to a one-sided world. And as long as you're addicted to one-sided world, life with two sides is going to smack you. But if you embrace both sides, imagine if you're married or you're dating a girl. And you lived in a fantasy that she's supposed to be always positive and always up and always kind and always nice. You have a delusion. She's got a set of values. When you support her values, she can be nice. You challenge her values, she's going to be mean. She's not going to be one or the other. She's going to be both. So if you expect her to be one side, you have a delusion. Same for yourself. If you expect yourself to be one side, you got a delusion. So I gave up those delusions about 34 years ago. So I don't live with those, those feelings because I'm not setting up fantasies for myself.
3: So you say you gave up the delusion, John. You say you gave up
1: the, the delusion. Hey, four years ago, you know, just just it sounds so casual. Like, hey, I just gave up uh, Coca Cola. I mean, it sounds you make it sound so simple. Which,
2: on one level, well, like, what I did is. what I did. What did you do? How, how did you give up the, delu- the, the delusion? Because okay. I think it would benefit us all. Okay, what I did is I went and I took three hundred of the best selling books in positive thinking in the self help genre, uh-huh. and I went through mm-hmm. the books. And I circled every positive word in the books. Hmm. And I put them on index cards, three by five index cards. And I stored 2,000 of the most positive words in every one of the self-help books. You know, Psycho, Cybernetics, Magic of Thinking Big, these
3: mm. kind of books. Yes.
2: Win Friends, Influence People, that stuff. Zeke stuff. I mean, I took every one of the self-help books, 300 of them, and I circled every positive word in there. And I put them alphabetically into index cards. And I accumulated 2,000 most positive words. Once I did that, I saw, I sat and I meditated on each word and I thought of the most positive affirmation and quotation mm. that you can think of that included that word. And by the way, if you go online and you look under um, 2000 Quotes to the Wise dash Martini, you'll see that I wrote a book with those 2000 quotes. And you can see that mm. it's still there online. So it's not a joke. This is a real book. And what I did mm-hmm. I, is I, I basically went through them. And I decided that I was going to affirm five to six of these quotes every day, 108 times minimum. And what I did is I created a chart 108 Mm -hmm. times each. That's about 600 to 640 affirmations a day, minimum. Mm -hmm. I really did more like 1,000 a day. And what I did is I affirmed them all day long from 645 in the morning until about 7 o'clock at night.
3: And during the day,
2: I created a chart called a day-by-day cycle forecasting form. And what I did is I looked at spiritual, mental, career, financial, family, social, and physical. And I monitored on a plus three, plus two, plus one, zero, minus one, minus two, minus three, Uh, four times a day at seven, 11, three, and seven. I monitored how I felt in the seven areas of life. So as I'm affirming these affirmations a thousand times a day, the most positive words in the English language and the most positive affirmations and statements I could make. I was monitoring what it did to my behavior. Now, this same affirmations were used by Success Motivation Institute, all the subliminal tapes in the 80s. And this is in 1983 when I did this. In the, in the process of doing that, I discovered after doing that, every single day, monitoring it four times a day for two freaking years, I did mm. the most concerted effort of trying to be a positive thinker of anybody I've ever met. At the that end of those two control. years... I, at the end of the two years I monitored all the numbers that I had circled. And after going mm. through all the circles, all the numbers that I, I underlined and circled and I added them all up, they canceled each other and it was zero. So then I realized that I'd wasted my time trying to be positive all the time and had never accomplished it. I was up, up, down, up, down, down, up, up, down, 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 up, up, down, 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 up, up, down, up, 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 down, 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 up, down. And I was monitoring this in the seven areas of life. I found out I had higher volatilities in my high in my lowest values, the least mm-hmm. volatility in my highest. And I realized this was a waste of my time. I'm not going to promote or teach a hypocrisy because just because people mm-hmm. teach doesn't mean it's true. Paul Dirac, the Nobel yeah. Prize, said it's not that we don't know so much. We know so much that ain't so. And We go around parroting bullshit that people promulgate without actually questioning it. Yep. And so what happens is I, I challenge this whole positive thinking mode. And I guarantee you, nobody in my seminars in the last 34 years can look me straight in the eye and say they're, they're more positive than negative. Because I ask them, can you see that in your life you have both? And they all put their hands up, you know, yes. So are you going to get the message? Or are you going to live in a fantasy all your life and think that perfection is one side? You know, the, the Buddha says the desire for that which is unavailable And the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable is a source of human suffering. So as long as you're trying to get a one-sided life and trying to get rid of the other side, you're going to have futility and you're going to have suffering. That's what passion means. Passion means to suffer. So your idiotic passion is going to make you pursue that which is not available and try to avoid that's unavoidable. And this is the futility of life. And this is not what happens when you live by your highest value. When you live by your highest value, you're more objective, more resilient. You embrace both sides of your own life and both sides of other people's lives. When you're inspired by your day, you get along with people way more easily than if you're sitting there expecting fantasies and then having nightmares. And the more you strive for a one-sided life, the more you feel defeated. So I gave up yes. happiness. It made me too sad. And I don't promote one-sidedness. I found it just absolutely a delusion, but yet it's taught all over the place because people don't think. Mm-hmm. They just parrot what they've been taught without thinking and doing analysis.
3: Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. It's really embracing the whole. And,
1: well, how are you going to love yourself now? if
2: you're trying to get rid of half of yourself? <laughs> right. How are you going to love the person right. you're with if you're trying to get rid of half of them? How are you going to love the world if you're mm. trying to get rid of half of it? Mm. We have so what to do, we do? What do we do?
1: So what do we do with, let's say, you know, let's say somebody's name and like, okay, I need to embrace, I need to not get rid of part of myself. I need to embrace this part of myself, Sean. But I hate this part of myself. And I know I should. I know... You what you say Well, that's because, I
2: because you're only I, hating it. it. How do I love it? You're choosing to see only one side of it, which is foolish. It's oh. a narrow mind. See, when you're infatuated with oh. somebody, you're blind to the downside. When you're resentful to somebody, you're blind oh. to the upside. When you get to know them, you find out they have both sides. And nobody's worth <laughs> putting on pedestals or pits. Most everybody's worth putting in hearts. So if you sit there and you don't see but the downsides, it's not because there's no upsides because you're choosing to run your story and play your little victim and stay stuck in your racket mm. and end up at your little shrink. So you can sit there and be right instead of love. Mm. And you hold yourself back mm. from a profound life an inspired life where you're grateful and you can see things on the way, not in the way. Gotcha. But let's
3: say, you know, someone has a part of themselves that is mean and abusive and
1: judgmental and And then, like, but I hate this part of myself, John. I mean, I I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be a. There is no, there
2: is no one-sided. No, I don't buy it. I've I've worked with almost every imaginable case, from killings to rape to murders to you name it. I get to work with all of them. And when I go Uh, in there, people label those things because they choose not to see the other side to it. But believe Mm -hmm. it or not, there's two sides to it. And when you see both sides, you're freed. (laughs) And anything that you judge runs your life until you love it.
3: Yeah.
2: there. See, when we're resenting somebody, we're too proud to admit what we see in them is inside us. And when we're infatuated with somebody, we're too humble to admit what we see in them is inside us. But I've proven in a quarter of a million people that whatever you see in others, you have. It may not be in the exact same form, but it's in a form that's equivalent. And once you find that, you're, you're too humble to actually sit there and judge them. You realize, why would I judge them? I do the same thing. I've had, I've had people who swear they don't do that. They want to be right. But that's not how you empower your life, being right. Pride is one of the biggest things before the fall. And love is the greatest mm-hmm. thing to expand. So I'm, I'm not interested in, in, in judging somebody because they've done something. I'd like to find the bigger picture and find out how it's there. I, I, I worked yeah. at the Christchurch earthquake. And I had people that had this devastation, right? They lost their house. They lost their loved ones. And I showed them how to not grieve and how to get past it and go on. And they're doing at K.O. Mm-hmm. K- University in Tokyo, they're doing research on this because they were just found it astonishing. We did it at the Ishinomaki mm. a tsunami, we did it also at the earthquake last year in Japan. Mm. And we take people that have been through devastations and losses, and we show them where the gains mm. are and the opportunities, and how the mind always has a pair of opposites. You never have tragedy mm. without ecstasy. You never have loss without gain. You have never negative without positive, because your mind will have a, what they call a memory and an anti-memory. Most people don't know about anti-memory, mm. But the anti-memory balances out the perception inside the mind. If you're not conscious of it, you'll label things good or bad. If you see both sides, you'll label things an experience to help you love. And I always say, love is the synthesis and synchronicity of all complementary opposites. It's a pair of opposites seen at the same time.
1: I love that. Could you repeat that so we can just uh, really digest? Love is the synthesis
2: and synchronicity of all complementary opposites. So no matter what you perceive. It's opposite is with you at all times. Once you see that both of them at the same time, you realize you're loved. So if somebody's criticizing you, you look for the praise. If somebody's praising you, you look for the criticizing. And you'll find out that they're both there. But you're holding on to one and running the story that one occurred without the other because you chose to never see the other side. If you see both sides, you feel loved. If you see one side, you'll be infatuated or resentful. And whatever you infatuate and resent runs your life. So they'll run your life until you see both sides and love. When you love, you're liberated from the bondage of those one-sided perspectives. Once you see both sides, you're you're free. You find yeah. meaning. The mean
3: between the two pairs of opposites, as Aristotle said. Love it. I love it. Beautiful stuff, folks. Folks, I'm on with uh, Dr. John D. Martini,
1: an amazing man, the author of The Breakthrough Experience. Uh, we're having a really enlightening conversation. Dr. John Com. You can definitely go to his website, check him out. He's we're breaking some truth down today uh, John, I'm curious um, you've shared a lot uh, we're embracing the wholeness within ourselves, all of life the totality, you know, the, the the Tao the yin, yang, black, white, up, down interdependent polaric opposites coming together, and I love your definition of love, love the synthesis of complement, the synthesis and synchronicity complementary opposites so, in your life you know, you've lived quite a life you're Still living an amazing life it feels like you're just ramping up, you know. Uh, I'm curious, was there ever a time? I'm sure there have been uh, times where maybe, and you've been, you know, you've been doing this work a long time, and so whatever times you felt like uh, giving up, or you had a really dark moment, lost, tragedy, check, challenge, sickness, just a yes. moment you felt like. And yeah. how did you get when that? I was
2: when I was 18 years old. Um, I moved back from Hawaii to Texas and I had never read a book yet and I was just learning how to read. And my mom suggested I take a GED, a high school equivalency test because I dropped out of school and never finished high school. And, and she said, why don't you take a GED? And I went and guessed and I passed. And then she said, why don't you take a college entrance exam, SAT? And I went, what do I do? And I, she said, just take the test. And I went and took it and I passed. And I guessed, I literally guessed. It was just one of those synchronous kind of guessing. Cause I couldn't even read half the questions, didn't understand what they meant. And then I started to go to school, try to go to college and I took English and history. And Dr. Baker had a history class and I was listening to the class and trying to take a few notes and thought I was going to pass like the other two tests. And the first test I took after two weeks into a six week summer school class, I got a 27 instead of a 72. I needed 72 to pass. I got a 27. When I saw that, I was so humiliated. The thing that my first grade teacher said to me, I'm afraid he'll never read, he'll never write, he'll never communicate, never, mount, never go very far in surfaced again. And I thought, well, maybe I can't do it. Maybe this whole thing is a fantasy, this idea of teaching, traveling. And then I came home crying. And I curled up in the fetal position under a little Bible stand in my parents' living room. And uh, my mom came home from from shopping, and she saw me there crying. I said, son, what happened? What's wrong? I said, I blew the test. I guess I'll never read or write or communicate, never mount a thing, never go very far in life. And she didn't know what to say. She was just kind of quiet. And finally, she reached over and put her hand on my shoulder and looked me straight in the eyes. And she said, son, whether you become a great teacher and healer and philosophy and travel the world like you dream, whether you return to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done, we return to the streets and panhandle as a bum like you've done. I just want to let you know that no matter what you do, your father and I are going to love you no matter what.
3: When she said that,
2: I felt loved. And her certainty and her presence and her gratitude was very strong. And when I, she did that, my hand went into a fist and I looked up and I saw a vision of me speaking in front of a million people. And I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and studying and learning. And I'm this thing called teaching, healing, and philosophy. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, travel whatever distance, and pay whatever price to give my service of love across the planet. I'm not going to let any human being on the face of the planet stop me, not even myself. And I got up, and I hugged my mom, and I went into my room, and I got a dictionary out, a Funk and Wagnall's dictionary. And I started memorizing 30 words a day. And my mom used to test me on 30 words, on how to spell them, use them in a sentence, and what their meanings were. And with 30 words a day, slowly but surely, adding up 30 words new a day, my vocabulary was strong enough eventually to be able to pass school. And I eventually learned how to pass school. And then I started reading encyclopedias. And I read eight complete sets of encyclopedias over the next couple of years. I just wanted to read. I just wanted to know the laws of the universe. I just wanted to catch up with everybody else because they were all intelligent. I wasn't. And now I excelled because I built momentum. And people sometimes don't realize if you stay with something long enough, you can build momentum. So, yeah, I had a big setback at that moment. But my mom said the right thing at the right place to give me the catalyst to not give up. So I can't say that I've ever had that fear again because I've been diligently focused and studying all these years. But I learned that the faster I teach it to somebody, the more I learn it. So I started teaching every day, every night, what I was reading during the day. And I didn't care what it was. I just would teach every night. And I would read four or seven books, and then I would teach every night. Read four or seven books, wow. and teach every night. And that way I could expand my knowledge and be worthy of a teacher. Because I felt like it's my responsibility mm-hmm. if I'm going to be a teacher. I better know my stuff. So I wanted to set it and read a 100 books in every different discipline known. So I could have at least a PhD in each area. So that's 298 different disciplines that I tried to read, mm. so I could have the most universal laws to build the greatest foundation, the greatest knowledge, to build a teaching platform to help people do something extraordinary mm. with their life.
1: Mm. I love it. That's amazing.
2: You know, how
1: do you, I mean, obviously you're still teaching, I mean, you're prolific, you know, just nonstop, day in, day out, weekend, weekend, weekend. This is for decades now. So I'm curious as a teacher, how do, you, how do you keep your energy levels up? How do you not get exhausted? How do you not get tired? What, what's the secret to that?
2: Well, on a rare occasions, I'll get a cold or I'll get, you know, some uh, things that people get, a flu or whatever. But other than that, I'm pretty well seven days a week, pretty energetic guy. Seven days a week, all day, mm-hmm. usually about, you know, at least 18 hours a day I'm, I'm cranking. Used to do 20 hours a day You're and like sleep me. four hours a day for 35 years. All right. I mean, what what's the secret? Is there is there like a technique? Is there I don't know. A no, change? you're just inspired by what you do. You know, yeah, Elon I Musk know. is inspired to go to Mars. He's inspired to get mm. Tesla going. So he works mm. whatever it takes. You know, when the pie's mm. big enough, the house take care of themselves. You just have a big enough reason, you'll do it. Mm. Now, I sometimes mm. I'll get a cold or whatever, and I'll maybe not be a hundred percent. But so what? That does never stop mm. me. I've never missed a thought because of any cold or any flu or any any symptoms in all these years I've been teaching.
1: That's amazing. you
2: man after my like, own my heart. Cause, for sure. My cause to teach is greater than those those things, even though sometimes I may not feel great. So what? I rally when yeah, I get so on the and I just teach. Mm. Mm. You know, for those listening in who, let's say, have a couple more questions,
1: quick questions for you. I mean, you shared so much already today. For those that might, I'm sure there's folks listening in who They've either maybe been to your seminars, they've heard about you, they've read your books, they saw you on The Secret, and maybe they want to be teachers. They want to, you know, they have a dream of being a speaker, a seminar leader, uh, you know, writing a book, et cetera, et cetera, going into this field of transformation, spirituality, self-help. Maybe they're a yoga teacher. Whatever they are, they want to make a contribution in some way. Uh, Based on your experience, are there any key pieces of advice from your learning in this field over decades that you could give to those folks yeah. to make a difference. Don't,
2: don't, don't waste your time on things that aren't highest on your value. Every time you mm. do something high on your value, you grow in self-worth and you gain momentum and you're inspired from within spontaneously. And every time you do something low on your values, you need motivation and you end up self-depreciating. So don't waste yourself. Yeah. Don't waste your time on low-priority stuff. If you don't fill your day with high-priority actions, it fills up with low-priority distractions. Those de- devalue you. So ask yourself, what's the one thing? What's the highest priority thing you can do today that helps you fulfill your mission on earth? And then once you're done with that, what's the highest priority thing you can do right now that can help you fulfill your mission on earth? And keep sticking to the highest priority, the one thing or the top seven things or something. And if you're filling your day with the highest priorities, you're doing as much as any human being can do in a day. But if you're sitting there and subordinating to other people and don't have the ability to say no to people and don't be clear about what it is you're dedicated to, and you're basically trying to live by other people's values and envying people and imitating people, well, you'll fit in instead of stand out. Yes. And you'll subordinate instead of stand on their shoulders. And you're not going to live authentically. You know, we make the greatest difference by being unique and our uniqueness is our own unique set of values. So if we're living according to our own set of values and priority and congruently, we make the greatest difference. So every day, ask yourself, what is the highest priority thing I can do right now? that helps me fulfill my mission on planet Earth. Your mission is an expression of your highest value. It's what you feel called to do. It's what brings a tear of inspiration to your eyes. It's what makes the biggest difference. It's the thing that expands your space and time horizons. It's a thing that wakes up your executive center. It's a thing that inspires a vision, makes you want to strategically plan and execute plans, and makes you self-governed and not distracted. It's the thing that you are called to, and you find that you don't need motivation in life. I don't need motivation to do what I do. I haven't had motivation needs for forty-six years.
1: <laughs> I love that question. What's the highest priority action that I can do right now uh, to to fulfill my vision? I'd love it.
2: Bill Gates asked himself a question: What is the highest priority thing I can do for to serve humanity with the resources I have today? That's a great question.
3: Great question. Great question.
1: You know, based on you said a lot from from today's conversation <clears throat> and a final kind of two, two final main question and 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 I'd like you to assign a little a little challenge to the audience listening in but if there were uh let's say three key life lessons that you would pass on to the next generation your kids and grandkids and next generations and you could only pass let's say these three keys based on your learn obviously you know Men like you, you can have like hundreds of them. But if there were maybe three keys, some of some of which might overlap from the conversation, but I'm just curious, what your three key life lessons that you would pass on to the next generation would be? Well, in a, yeah,
2: I would say this that the greatest teacher is exemplification. So it's mm-hmm. not about what you say; it's about what you live. If you're living congruently mm-hmm. and if you're living inspired life, you teach more than even words. So yeah. first prioritize your life and live by priority so you exemplify what's possible. Give yourself permission to empower all areas of your life. If you don't empower yourself intellectually, you'll be told what to think. If you don't empower yourself in business, you'll be told what to do. If you don't empower yourself in finance, you'll be told what you're worth. If you don't empower yourself in relationships, you'll be pushed around by your spouse and family. If you don't empower yourself in society, you'll basically buy into the propaganda, of the political and traditional and conventional ideas around you. If you don't empower yourself physically, you'll be told what organs to remove and what drugs to take. And if you don't empower yeah. yourself spiritually, you'll be told some sort of irrational, dogmatic idea that's, that's bipolar, you know, something that's saving you on the outside and something that's causing you pain on the outside. You'll be dissociated and not empowered. So power your life. Give yourself permission to be an unborrowed visionary and not live in somebody else's borrowed vision and be unique. Stand out and go after what's truly important to you first you're going to be ridiculed then you'll be violently opposed but eventually be self-evident because you didn't give up and you broke through the conformity of the the multitudes and then every day stop and think about what you're grateful for what you did get to do Mm. if you're grateful for what you got you get more to be grateful for those are three things that are worth doing every day I love
1: it prioritize your life live by your priority give yourself permission to be you be unique Gratitude, folks. You heard the three keys from Dr. John D. Martini. Dr. John, would you assign? Would you be willing to assign a simple, practical homework assignment? Something that those listening to this conversation immediately uh, could just go and do right now that might facilitate a breakthrough. Just something simple
2: that they could implement. I I can highly recommend that go on the website drdmartini.com and go and do the free, complimentary value determination process and go and do it honestly don't bullshit yourself don't lie to yourself Be objective and answer those 13 questions and take a look at what's really 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 what your life demonstrates to support to you and if you have to ask the question and you're not certain when you're done you lied to yourself but once you do that you now have a structure to start prioritizing your life by that's the wisest thing i can tell you to do that if you don't get up in the morning and dedicate your life to what you're dedicated to, nobody else is going to. Everybody's going to project their values onto you, and nobody's going to get up in the morning and make sure you fulfill yours. So if you're not doing it, nobody else is. And otherwise, you're going to be living a quiet life of desperation, not a life of inspiration. Can't live a life of inspiration doing low-priority stuff. So prioritize your life by first finding out what your real priorities and values are.
3: I love it. Hope you heard it. Go to
1: uh, drdemartini.com, uh, Dr. and uh, you'll find a value assessment. Fill it out and uh, go deep. Definitely invite you to check out uh, Dr. Martini's work. Is that the best way also, uh, John, that people can find out about you and your work and your events and, and, at your website?
2: Yeah, if they go to my website, there are hundreds. No, there's thousands. Of radio, television, newspaper, magazine articles that we've got out there. It's complimentary for them. And there's a YouTube with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of YouTube clips to educate. We're an educational institution. So if you want to educate yourself, join on board. It'll keep you busy for a while.
3: Awesome. I want to thank you for
1: joining Soul Talk, uh, Dr. John D. Martini. You've been a real uh, just enlightening source, fountain of wisdom. Uh, thank you for your generosity and love and just sharing your clarity, your no BS approach. I love it. And just, you know, just a, a thanks from one teacher to another for just your dedication to uplifting and demystifying and educating humanity as a as a mission. You're definitely living your mission. So thank you for coming on to Soul Talk. Folks, you heard it, Dr. John D. Martini, check out his work. We'll put the link in the show notes as a homework. Do the values assessment. Dr dmartini.com. Also, shoot me an email, Blackson at cootblackson.com. I'd like to know your key takeaways from today's uh, podcast episode of Soul Talk. Definitely subscribe, share it with your friends and on social media. Send me an email, let me know what you enjoyed also uh, most about this episode. And I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Sending you much love, everyone. Big hugs. Love now.